Hi, this is James Devine, and I am an educator who has come out of the trenches. Listen in as my friend and colleague Dana Goodyear shares stories and tips from other educators who have come out of the trenches. Welcome to the Out of the Trenches podcast. This is Dana Goodyear. Thanks for listening. Next guest is Jeff Utek. He is an educator, consultant, and podcaster and author. In his heart, he will always be a fourth grade teacher. Jeff has been a keynote speaker and presenter for the past 13 years, having presented in 20 different countries, and has helped to upskill more than 50,000 educators. Jeff's passion and purpose is to prepare students for their future, not for our past, which drives his love for learning and education. Welcome to the podcast, Jeff. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, so I recorded uh, as a guest on your podcast last week, and now we're uh, doing the opposite, and you are a guest on the Out of the Trenches podcast. We'll start off with the question I ask everybody. Tell me about a time when you were in the trenches and managed to crawl out. Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, I think like every educator, it's hard to narrow down what's one trench. But I, I think, you know, as I was thinking about coming on to your show, I think for me, the the biggest, I don't even know, I mean, I guess it was a trench, it was a shock, mm-hmm. is my first year teaching right out of college. Um, I got lucky in that I graduated in 1999, which was the first year of state mandatory testing Mm -hmm. here in the state of Washington. Uh, And so all the positions were, uh, they started testing in fourth grade. And so of course, all the positions that year were fourth grade teachers. So I ended up being a fourth grade teacher. And uh, because that's where you should stick all your kids coming out of college. (laughs) Uh, First year of mandatory uh, statewide testing. But uh, I ended up getting a job at a elementary school that was of a very high uh, fluency, mm-hmm. uh, high economic status. Uh, we used to joke that kids would, and not that we were joking about it, kids would actually try to come to pay for their lunch with a credit card. And we're talking 1999 uh, to put this into perspective. But it was just that type of school, um, you know, very, very affluent uh, school, uh, great kids, great parent support. Um just a, you know, just very affluent, um, population. And then the next year, my wife and I got jobs. My wife's a school counselor and we moved across the state and we moved to a school that was 99 free, 99% free and reduced lunch mm. where we had kids coming to school every day. Um, for the first time that I'd ever been in a situation where the school was feeding students breakfast, lunch, and dinner, mm-hmm. uh, we were doing laundry for kids. Uh, I remember bringing lo- loads of ha- laundry home for students because they had two or three different changes of clothes in their backpack. And it was honestly a shock. Yeah, it, I mean, just a shock to going from one end of the spectrum to another end of the spectrum and finding myself not knowing how to get out of that trench. Mm-hmm. You know, I was so, it, it was, and it was overnight. Like one year yeah. you're teaching at this school, the next year you're teaching at that school. And the the pace of learning slowed down, what those students needed. I mean, we talk about SEL and social emotional learning, and we spent more time doing classroom meetings than I think we did anything else. Yeah. Um, going on home visits. I mean, I'll never forget we did a home visit with a parent, and her goal for her her son was to complete sixth grade. And mm-hmm. if her son completed sixth grade, he'd be the first in three generations. Wow. I mean, that's just what we were, you know, that was the population of the school. And so I found myself in this situation where 
I had to figure out how do I take my own mental capacity and my own mental mindset of what it is to be raised mm-hmm. uh, in the, you know, I was raised by two teachers and a pretty middle-class income household to be thinking about, okay, what is different for these kids and what do these kids need? And mm-hmm. luckily, you know, like I always encourage new teachers is find your mentors. And I had some incredible mentors who had been teaching at that school for a long time that really helped me uh, mm-hmm. through that journey um, to get through those, those two, you know, those, those two years of, of teaching there. But, uh, but they were two incredible years. It's where I, you know, I got my first technology grant there. We had four, one computer to every four kids. I had oh, 33 wow. kids in my high, 33 kids in my fourth grade class. Uh, Cause I told the principal, we knew we were going to be overloaded in fourth grade. I was like, give me every extra kid. Cause it meant more technology for the school. Okay. Uh, so we were able to get you know, seven computers and the kids knew the IP. We knew that all the computers were named by their IP addresses. The kids learned to network computers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, This is 2001, uh, 2002. But uh, yeah, it was an incredible journey. And as I was getting ready to come on here, I was just thinking about what those two years did for my own mindset Mm -hmm. of what did it mean to be in the trenches? What did it mean to truly understand your students and get to Mm -hmm. know your students and what do they need? You know, learning your timetables is second to having breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Sure. You know, mm-hmm. and just having to kind of reset what what education is and what it should be for for different students. Yeah, yeah, and that really um, is kind of that story of resilience and the fact that you kind of went 180 from one school to another so early in your career. Um, yeah. You know, taking laundry home now. A lot of the schools invest in laundry machines. Yeah, but, exactly. You know, really. Um, working on those students' needs before that was really that hot topic that we're talking yeah. about now with SEL, but really finding out what you could do to get resources um, and the kids, you know, able to learn the best way they could. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what you do um, with shifting schools. So you have um, a lot of thoughts on uh, different things that are kind of hot topics in our classes today, and they have been for quite a while. So um, first of all, let's talk about the cell phone conversation. Um, You know, no matter what the age group is, usually you're having to deal with that kids grade three or four and up. So what are your thoughts on having cell phones in the classroom? Yeah. And I think it's just, you know, it's, it's good for people to understand that, you know, I've been an educational technology Mm -hmm. consultant since 2009. I've seen, Mm -hmm. you know, 2009 to just put, put that in perspective. It was the first year the iPad came out. So we're, you know, we're, we're dealing with, you know, the iPad and the iPhone and, you know, what, what are we going through with, with all of this technology stuff? And, you know, if you want to do a Google search for me, I did a thing for Microsoft where we went a little bit in depth into this idea of the cell phone. But right now I think, you know, the site, the cell phone, you can look back and there are different technologies that come along and we as society adopt them before education does. Mm. Um, And education is still trying to hold on to the quote unquote, traditional way that we do things for a lot of reasons. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not saying that's wrong, you know, at all. Uh, We're slow to change and education should be slow to change in in my, my, you know, my mind. Uh, But we do need to change. And I think if we think back to the idea of the calculator, you know, the calculator for a long time in the seventies was, was really a horrible thing. Like we didn't want kids using calculators. We still wanted kids to memorize all their multiplication tables. And then all of a sudden the calculator didn't need a cord. And when the calculator didn't need a cord and a kid could have one on every desk, you know, and it could be powered by the sun. If you remember those days, 
we were struggling with kids cheating with a calculator. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so we took the calculator away and what happened? They put it on your wrist. And for those of mm -hmm. you who I can age myself here, but you might remember the cool kids in school had the watch that had a calculator built into your watch. And all of a sudden mm -hmm. you could be doing, you could be doing math with your watch. And so then we're having to ban watches. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden we, we fight this technology. And then I don't know what changes at some point, something changes. And now when you're a high school kid going into calculus class, oh, by the way, you have to buy a $170 calculator. Yeah. Like all of a sudden now it's the tool that everybody needs. Mm -hmm. And I feel like technology, especially in education, goes through this. We fought laptops for a long time and then everybody needed a laptop. And then we wanted every kid to have a laptop. You know, I, I talked about, you know, the first grant I got, we believe this is the through the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation here in the state of Washington. They did a thousand teachers a year for four years because the research at the time in the late 90s, early 2000s was we will change education if we can get one computer to every four kids. That's where we started. And then slowly we, we were down to one computer for every two kids. And then this idea of one-to-one -one came out because the price of technology came down and all of a sudden we have internet in schools and then we're trying to block the internet. And now we're going through it with cell phones. And the difference with cell phones is what we're seeing is we're seeing a personal adoption through society. Yeah. And that is what I think schools are struggling with right now is it's like students bringing their own calculator from home and the teacher saying, but you can't use that in my class. Mm -hmm, and at mm -hmm. some point the parents say, but why not? Yeah. And I think we're reaching this point because there are so many different things that are going on in schools today. Uh, one of top priority, and we're seeing this in the news is safety. Parents mm -hmm. want to have their children to have access to a phone, to call them in an emergency. And I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying it's the pressure that we're feeling mm -hmm. at some point we need to understand that for better or for worse, these students are on their devices for yeah. better or for worse. It's 2022 and the cell phone is not going away yeah. for better or for worse. We better understand and start learning how to use it or we're going to be in a fight that I don't think we win. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of schools that are struggling with that right now. Yeah. You know? yeah. And in the schools who are embracing it and embracing it, I mean, do you have your student body? You know, do you have your ASB officers having conversations with school administration around what is our cell phone policy? Yeah. Why do we want or don't want cell phones in class and having students be a part of that? Because we do not understand their lives in those phones. And yeah. I think that's so hard for us as adults. You know, I grew up in a time without technology. I grew up in a time when my mom literally kicked me outside the door, me and my two brothers kicked us outside and said, don't come back until dinner. Mm -hmm. And we ran around the neighborhood without a cell phone without a watch tracking our every move. There were neighbors that kind of watched out for all the kids. People probably remember this, but you just ran wild until you got home at 6.30, 7 o'clock. And we weren't able to, we weren't even allowed to come inside. I mean, my poor mom had three boys. <laughs> I, we weren't even allowed to come back in the house. Mm -hmm. That is not the way these kids are raised today. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I hear parents all the time say, I wish my kids would go outside and play like I did. Well, I didn't want to go outside. My mom forced us to go outside. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. You can't do that today in society because you become a quote unquote bad parent because you're not monitoring your child. Or we kick the kids outside and then we check them on their cell phone every five minutes to make sure they're exactly where they want to be. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there is social pressure that this generation is feeling that I don't think we understand, nor can we 
because yeah. we weren't 12 or 14 or mm -hmm. 16 or whatever age you are and understand the social pressure these kids are under today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I believe it's schools and it's education's responsibility to support kids in that. Mm -hmm. If we are talking about social emotional learning and we're not talking about the impact that technology is having, we're missing the big conversation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That leads us to um, blocking sites from students at school because um, you know, there are certain sites, like some schools will block YouTube, some schools, um, you know, might block different media outlets, for example. Uh, what are your thoughts um, on that? Um, you know, you said that the federal government says there are certain sites that have to be blocked, but when we're talking about certain media outlets or um, YouTube, which can be a good resource, but it can also be a waste of time, uh, what, what should districts do? Yeah, I've always uh, supported districts in trying to understand what the balance is in that. Mm -hmm. And I think first and foremost, to your point, is understand when we talk about the Child Internet Protection Act, SIPA, yeah. which I'm sure most teachers have heard about, there are only three things by federal law that you actually have to block for schools, uh, in schools for, for students. And you can go and look those up. We won't talk about those three categories here. But the second part to that is, is these students have unfiltered access outside of school. And I'm not, and we should be filtered in school, but I think the level of filtering needs to be of a place where we can still access the information mm -hmm. that is vital to the way learning takes place today. And we just look at, just look at two statistics that have come out recently, the Pew internet research. And if you go look at the Pew internet research, I can mm -hmm. send you the link for the show notes. Okay. But the Pew Internet Research just did research that came out and they did research in 2014 and 15 with uh, with child, with uh, sorry middle school, high school kids, with teenagers. They did the exact same research in 2022, exact same questions. Mm -hmm. In 2014 and 2015, the number one social media site that was used by kids was Facebook. Okay. In 2022, Facebook doesn't even make the top 10. Mm -hmm. And the two that are top are YouTube and TikTok. Mm -hmm. both of which were not even mentioned or TikTok wasn't even around in the mm -hmm. 2014 study. Yeah. Now in the study, they are showing that 92% of the kids that they surveyed say that they're on YouTube every single day. Yeah. It showed that 78% of teenagers say that they're on TikTok every day. So what does that tell me? I'm not just looking at, at YouTube and TikTok. I'm looking at the majority of students today are using video as a way of learning. Yeah. The number one thing that's coming out right now is that this generation uses TikTok like a search engine, which blows mm -hmm. my mind. I don't get it. I'll never understand it. I'm a text-based child raised in a text-based world trying to teach a video-based brain. Why are instructional videos so good? Why are instructional videos best practice? Because for better or for worse, and I'm not saying it's right, I'm saying the brain in front of me is video first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we have- This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. Have to start looking at, okay, well, what sites am I using? How am I actually, you know, one of our big focuses over at Shifting Schools is around media literacy. Mm -hmm. And that is part of it. How am I, what do I, do I know how to watch a video for learning? 
Mm -hmm. Do I know how to pause it and stop it and rewind it and take notes while I'm watching the video? Do I understand that when an advertisement pops up in front of me, what they're trying to sell me, what's the angle? What's the mm -hmm. music playing in the background? Are we actually having kids debrief this stuff? Mm -hmm. And then we turn around and we use it against them. I want to debrief TikTok videos because I want an assignment where students are making videos in a genre of TikTok. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying you have to upload it to TikTok, but kids know the genres of TikTok. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There are a whole different genre. Like we have genres of writing we're still focused on. There's genres of videos. There's how-to videos and there's sing-along videos mm -hmm. and there's lip-syncing videos and there's, why don't we take some of those and bring those into our classroom? You know, mm -hmm. truly start looking at the culture of our kids today. Yeah. What is the culture of our kids? And it's not a culture that I understand. It's a culture we have to learn and yeah. we have to somehow wrap our head around so that we, I mean, that's our job. That, I mean, that is what you signed up for as an educator is to understand the children that are in front of you. You don't have to like it. I don't like TikTok. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I don't have a choice to not try and understand what the poll is for the kids sitting in front of me because they do. And that's my job. It's not about me. It's about them. Yeah. No, that's really important to remember, like learning their culture, right? Not trying to fight against us. Well, if there's one uh, site a uh, student should use um, in class, what would that website be? <laughs> Such a great question. I get asked this one a lot, you know? Um, and I've been promoting this website for a long time now because I think it still gets a bad rap in school. I think schools are slowly coming around to it and understanding it, understanding it. But uh, again, you can use, you can do a Google search for me. I've done twice now. I've done talks at the UN mm -hmm. um, where we talked about this one website. And if there was one website that I think you could use every day in class and teach kids to do, that one website is Wikipedia. Mm -hmm. Wikipedia is the largest body of knowledge ever created by mankind. It is in every language you could ever want it to be for world languages. It has the ability for you to go in and edit and add and create. I, when we talk about Wikipedia, sure, there's the side where we have to understand how to use it. We have to understand how you go in and can you rely on that web page? That's one side of it. But yeah. the other side of it is if I go in and I find that the page has a lot of mistakes, it is my responsibility uh, as a human on planet Earth to click the edit button and make it right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The thing that frustrates me the most when I'm doing trainings with teachers that they're like, well, I went, I saw this Wikipedia page and there was something wrong on it. And you better not say that in one of my trainings, because my first question to you is, and you fixed it. Mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. edit button is there for everybody. And as a, as a human, number one, and as an educator, number two, your job is to fix it. Just fix it. And then teach your kids to fix the mistakes. Mm -hmm. We'll link to it in the, I'll send you a link for the show notes. I do have a free PDF over at Shifting Schools. Mm -hmm. um, that is how to understand Wikipedia in three links. Okay. And the reason why I get on I get on my Wikipedia bandwagon is because when I was a student growing up, every classroom I went into, there was a set of encyclopedias on the bottom shelf of every classroom. Yeah. And I cannot find one today. And the thing that replaced it is better, it's bigger, it's more reliable, it's actually more accurate. And we tell kids not only not to trust it, we don't teach them how to use it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you use it differently than the ones on the bottom shelf of your classroom. 
there is a way to understand what pages you can trust. We stopped comparing textbooks to Wikipedia in 2013 because mm -hmm. the research showed Wikipedia was better than your textbook. It's overwhelming. Like go out and just say Wikipedia versus textbooks, put it in Google. You will find the research against history textbooks, against science textbooks, doesn't matter. You would be better off teaching through Wikipedia if you know how to use it than teaching through your textbook. Mm -hmm. Every page on Wikipedia is ranked A, B, C, D, F. Maybe you've heard that ranking somewhere before. The problem is nobody knows where to find that ranking and it's three clicks away. Okay. If you know the right three clicks, you can figure out, oh, I'm looking at a web page that is rated an A plus that has had academics look at it. There's a rubric that they use that they go through every single Wikipedia page on. It's incredible. It's an amazing resource that is a nonprofit created by mankind from every perspective around the world trying to make it the best it can be. Mm -hmm. Let's use it with our kids at every grade level. I've had third graders or sorry, fourth graders in South Carolina make a Wikipedia page about a church in their community. That's a famous church from the 1700s. It didn't have a Wikipedia page. Mm -hmm. They did the research. They went on a field trip and took the photos. They wrote the Wikipedia page for a historical monument in their city. I've had high school kids yeah. do the same thing. High school kids going in finding they're really passionate about a topic, go join the community, right? Don't write the paper to me. Go tell the world about this passion of yours. Mm -hmm. There's an edit mm -hmm. button right there, top right-hand corner. It says edit, can't miss it. Go make the world a better place. That's what education is about. And we can do it through one simple website, wikipedia.org. Yeah, no, I, I see your points there. And I think it's something that Educators need to think about like the ways of like making a page when there is no page for something like the monument. Um, you know, the fact that a lot of these paper encyclopedia books had um, errors in them, right? Yeah. And yeah, I mean, there's there's uh, a way of looking at the, the rating as well. So um, yeah, I'll definitely um, link the uh, free PDF so people can view that. Um, and let's talk a little bit about the shift um, from what has been blended learning for about the past 10 plus years to what the future of education is and um, what uh, kind of the high flex model is. Yeah, so I think most teachers are probably, you know, have heard the term blended learning where we were trying to use technology as a way to blend this idea of our digital world with our physical spaces. And we're still trying to do that in a lot mm -hmm. of places. But I think coming out of the pandemic, we are in a completely different place. Uh, and of course, like like always in education, society is has a lot of pressure to deal with that. And I think we're seeing that in a lot of different ways right now in education. Uh, there's a lot of social pressure for education to be different for our, yeah. for our kids. And uh, the pandemic, I don't think helped us in that way, but I, it is going to force us to change a little bit. And I think what we're seeing is we're seeing this change from this idea of blended learning, where we still have kids in front of us on a daily basis. And we're trying to figure out how technology fits into our lesson plans and how do we engage and enhance what we're doing with technology to what is being called a high flex or a hybrid is really where it comes from, this high flex model of learning. It means a hybrid flexible model of learning, a high flex model. It's been used in colleges for a while. Uh, there's some research out around universities, but I think what we saw during the pandemic is we didn't know 
for the most part that we were using a high flex model in K-12, but we started to adapt it to what can be used in a K-12 setting. And I think going forward, it is something that school leaders and teachers are going to continue to hear about and continue to see. And a high flex model, basically what you have to start to do, and this is the major mind shift change that I'm supporting schools with, is you have to build for the internet first mm -hmm. in my physical classroom second. And that is a shift from the way we were all taught back to my college days in the late 90s. I need to make sure that I am leveraging instructional videos. I need to make sure that I'm leveraging technology because we are getting into a situation now coming out of these last three years where we had kids learning from home or we were in hybrid or we were six feet apart or wherever you ended up being in those years. We're coming out of this with society. Society is now saying, parents are now saying, I'm not going to wait until winter break to take that trip and flights mm -hmm. are going to cost me $1,500 per person. Yeah, I'm going to go, you know, the first week of December when flights are only $800 per person. And I'll just pull my kid from school because my kid can still learn online, right? You all know how to do that, right? I mean, you did it. Therefore, you can. Therefore, I can pull my kid whenever I want because they're not going to miss anything, right? And the expectation coming from society is I should be able to take my kid out anytime I want. And you should be able to still teach my kid no matter where my kid is. Mm -hmm. And that is causing us to create high flex models of learning where we have to be thinking about how do I make sure that these students who are coming and going or in my class one week, out of my class one week, or I mean, right now the flu is going around in schools yeah. and kids are you know, at, at home and not coming to school. How do we make sure we reach out to them? We have school districts who are rethinking like maybe there's never a snow day anymore, which really makes me quite sad as it's snowing <laughs> here today in Seattle. But maybe there's no snow days anymore because we can still learn from them because we know how to do it. We know how to do it. We have the technology. The thing that's missing is the pedagogical switch in our brains. Yeah. There's a different way to do it. And by high flex, I don't mean zooming kids in to my classroom. There is no research. And I want to be perfectly clear with this. There is no research that even comes close to saying having a third grader sit at home, watching their class through Zoom leads to any type of learning. We learned that during the pandemic. And there's no research to back it up. When we're talking about high flex models, we're talking about how do we really use what is best practice in 2022, which is instructional videos. I want instructional videos in my Google Classroom or my Canvas course or Seesaw or whatever I'm using for students learning at home. But they're also great for kids in my classroom. They can pause them. They can rewatch them. And back to our earlier statistic, the average child in America watches their first YouTube video at age... Two, age two in America, your first YouTube video. By the time you get them at six or eight or 14, they've watched hundreds, if not thousands. Mm -hmm. How are we engaging a media first brain in our classrooms? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have to change. It's best you practice in 2020. Yeah. You. yeah you talk videos, a little bit, you talk a little bit about how that is also the true inquiry based model as well. Um, so if we are shifting to that, um, my, uh, kind of pushback would be that teachers would say that's extra work to make those videos. 
<laughs> because we're not like, you don't have half the class out on quarantine anymore. Um, you know, if maybe they're filming themselves while they're already teaching the class, but a lot of teachers would say, well, that's extra work for me. So how can um, we put less work on their shoulders? So I would say it's the biggest thing we have to do is we have to rethink how we use our time because yeah. it can't be extra work anymore. It has to be the work that we do, yeah. mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It used to be extra work to make the worksheet. And now I ask kids questions and give them the internet for 10 minutes, mm -hmm. right? It used to be extra work to have to go down and make overhead transparencies. Anybody remember that? Like in the copy machine, we don't do that anymore, right? That was extra work. Right? Technology replaces technology. This is a big shift. But here's what I would say. If I make that instructional video, I have I use that same instructional video, not just for kids at home, but I want kids in my classroom watching it too. Mm -hmm. Because kids in my classroom can stop me, rewind me, pause me. They can translate that video into whatever language they want. The moment they need to hear it in Spanish or Tagalog mm -hmm. or Arabic. That's a game changer. That's accessibility. Mm -hmm. And now I'm walking around the classroom, having individual conversations with students instead of sitting in front of the classroom, making sure every kid knows two plus two, every kid is helping to learn on their own two plus two. And I'm helping every kid individually, or I know the kids that I have to go and support because I don't need to be up in front of the class teaching that lesson for the fifth time today. Yeah. It's different. It's not more. It's different. Can we get to a mindset where it's different, not more? Mm-hmm. And what can I take off my table if I think of it as different? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I had a yeah. teacher here that I was supporting the school district with that got into it. It was his morning routine. He was a middle school math teacher and he taught four preps of the same math thing. And so instead of saying the same thing four periods in a row, he go into class in the morning. He had to be at school a half hour before the kids go in made his video, had it uploaded into Google Classroom before period one, every single day. It can be done, just means changing your time different. And we're not talking about perfect videos. The research says, I don't need the video to be perfect. It shouldn't be perfect. There needs to be ums and uhs, and you need to make a mistake because when you're in front of the class, in front of that whiteboard, you do the exact same thing. You mm. are not perfect in front of your kids, nor should you be. Mm. Your video mm. needs to be the same way. It needs to be you, not perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a pretty similar to that flipped classroom model. And that book I read back in 2011. And, you know, I see that there are still teachers that haven't embraced that and that kind of have gone back to the same old, same old of, like you said, teaching the same thing four or five times a day um, instead of being available to support kids, right? Kind of teaching that whole class when we do need to have the flexible learning models um, so you have um, your organizations shifting schools, but you also have a podcast. So talk a little bit about the podcast and how that supports your organization and your consulting and uh, what kind of guests you interview on the podcast. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, you can find information uh, about all of that over at shiftingschools.com uh, or my personal website, jeffutech.com. We'll have all that in the show notes for sure. But we do have over 60 resources, uh, free resource guides over at Shifting Schools. My colleague, Trisha Friedman, uh, loves making free PDFs for teachers. So if you go to shiftingschools.com and up at the top, it says free guides, and there are a ton of them. We are huge into protocols. We're huge into scaffolding learning for students. We're huge into 
um, inquiry-based learning, and we call them ready-to-roll resources, where mm-hmm. basically you just download the PDF, you put in your email, it emails it to you. The reason why we do that is A, that signs you up for our newsletter, yes, which means that you get every free guide every week delivered directly to your inbox. But also we have found that if we send you an email, teachers live in that thing called uh, email inbox. And so it will always, that resource will be there for you when you are ready. Uh, But we've got all kinds of free resources over there. We also do trainings. I'm a Google certified partner. So we've got all kinds of trainings on using Google Earth and using Google Maps and you name it, Docs and Drive and setting up Gmail that actually works for teachers. It's all over there at shiftingschools.com. Our podcast, uh, I started podcasting in 2007. It was called Shifting Our Schools back in the time when I was teaching in China. So if you go back into the archives, you get to hear me teaching in China and you get to hear Mm. about me teaching in Bangkok. And, you know, we were talking about inquiry learning and and leadership back in those days. Today, uh, Shifting Schools uh, still going strong as a podcast, which I'm very proud about. We've got about 280 episodes, 240 episodes, 240, Mm. I think, Uh, 240 episodes out. We interview teachers, we interview school leaders, we interview a lot of people out in the profession. We've just got done, we do a lot of mini series. So we have a Mm -hmm. mini series on early childhood coming up. We have a mini series on uh, STEM coming up in maker spaces. Uh, We just got done doing a mini series on data, data jobs. So these are people we have found who like, you know, New York Times visual journalist, like, mm-hmm. what does it mean to be a journalist today? It means understanding data and how the internet works just to publish a story. It, writing is like the smallest piece of what these mm-hmm. people do. Um, and so we've got a lot of just great episodes about, you know, preparing students for their future and not our past. And what are these future careers? Mm-hmm. And so we went out and talked to people that are in these careers and talked about the intersection between language arts and data and art and the theme that comes out over and over again, collaborate, 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 Mm -hmm. how knowing how to collaborate with others to create a team, whether that team is in-person or virtual is critical. Mm -hmm. So the podcast runs the spectrum. You get to hear Trisha and I usually pontificate every once in a while as well, go on rants. As you can probably tell, I'm pretty good at going on a rant now and then. Um, but yeah, we love it. We uh, it, It's great. You can find it wherever you can download podcasts. That's shifting. You just type in shifting schools podcast. You'll be able to find it wherever you like to listen to your podcast. But uh, yeah, we have a good time over there. We every Monday, we drop an episode, usually somewhere around 30 to 40 minutes or so. Um, but yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think that's really impressive that you've had that podcast going for so long. I know a lot yeah. of people started in 2020, like myself, but that is quite impressive. 15 years and, <laughs> yeah, you know, such a wide variety and really talking to people that are in the field and they can talk to um, the intersection and the collaboration uh, with their field and other fields that um, kids might want to explore. Well, we've had a great time today talking about your views on some websites, uh, some learning tools students should use, and also um, your trench story from the beginning of your career. Out of everything we talked about today on the podcast, what's one thing you'd like listeners to remember? I think it goes back to just what I, the the two essential questions that I constantly have in front of my mind whenever I'm working with teachers and everything that we do over at Shifting Schools. Essential question number one, how am I using the world as my curriculum? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. We live in a world where these kids have access to so much amazing information. It actually frustrates me a little bit that I didn't have that as a kid. But I think every educator every day needs to be asking themselves, how am I using the world as my curriculum? And what does that mean for me in mm-hmm. whatever subject that I teach? And the second question is, am I preparing students for their future or am I preparing them for my past? Mm-hmm. And I think those two questions are key for, for us at Shifting Schools, for me personally, to be thinking about what does the future hold for the next generation? They are an incredible generation. That's a whole nother talk I give about this generation and who they are and who they're going to grow up to be. They're an amazing generation. I know they frustrate us at times in our classrooms, but they are going to do some incredible things just based on what we know of them so far. So um, we just need to make sure we're preparing them for them and, mm-hmm. and, and not worried about the way that it used to be when, you know, we had snow days as sad as it is that these kids might never get those, <laughs> but uh, you know, times change. And, and that's what we have to remember. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you've mentioned a few websites. Uh, you also uh, are active on uh, several social media platforms. So if you could just list a few of those where people can find you online and connect with you. Yeah. So personally, you can follow me everywhere at J-U-T-E-C-H-T. That's J-U-T-E-C-H-T. Uh, it's the same handle everywhere. So at, on Twitter, we share a ton of resources out there. We also do live webinars uh, all the time. So you can catch us. We do live webinars on our YouTube channel and on Twitter and on LinkedIn. Again, all those same places. And because I have to learn this thing called TikTok, I am over on TikTok. <laughs> I share no dancing as of yet, but uh, we do share some behind the scenes of our of our podcast. Uh, some of our webinar clips and stuff get shared over there on TikTok. So if you too are trying to figure out this stupid TikTok thing, uh, you can join me over there at Judic as well uh, on on TikTok. But uh, yeah, you can you can find me find me anywhere on on any of the socials. So great, great. I'll make sure to post those links in the show notes. Well, thank you so much for being my guest on the Out of the Trenches podcast today. Well, and thank you for being a guest on ours. So people have to go to Shifting Schools and they get to hear the other side of this conversation. So it's great. <laughs> my book, Out of the Trenches: Stories of Resilient Educators, has now been published. Get it now. It's- A-M-Z-N dot T-O slash 3B7-2-Z. Again, A-M-Z-N dot T-O slash 3B7-H-X-2-Z. Check out the show notes on DanaGoodyear.com to learn more about this guest and links to their social media. Please subscribe share, rate, and review wherever you download this podcast. Tell your friends and colleagues about it. And if this episode resonates, especially with you, be sure to share it out on social media and tag me at Out of Trenches PC.